Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you all for joining us uh, today for this rapid reaction call around the vote uh, in Colombia on Sunday, uh, a vote whose outcome was not expected by anybody, uh, most especially the polling. I'm Jason Barzak, the uh, Director of the Latin America Economic Growth Initiative here at the Atlantic Council's Adrian Arch Latin America Center. Um, I think as all of you know, we're on the line. The vote against the peace deal signed just a week earlier in Cartagena won by just under 55,000 votes. Uh, just under 55,000 people uh, swung the vote in favor of the, of the no campaign. And uh, this vote, the no vote, um, winning out by this razor-thin margin, um, came at a time in which the, the election saw a 63% abstention rate, uh, the highest in over 20 years, and also on a day on Sunday when coastal area voting was suppressed by Hurricane Matthew, so a confluence of factors uh, uh, came together. As Francis Santos said uh, before, and there was no Plan B, uh, but just in the last two days, a number of steps have been taken to ensure that Sunday's vote can be hopefully seen in history as yet another impasse over the four years of negotiations. Uh, one more thing that the government and the FARC must now uh, cooperate on to solve so peace can be achieved. Uh, so the question is, how will this happen? And what is the road ahead? And how has Sunday's surprise outcome reverberated beyond just peace negotiations? Um, at the time of Uncertainly, we felt it critical to have this call today to provide some guidance and thought moving ahead. And as we con continue our Columbia work, it will be important to involve all sides of the conversation in our discussions as we move forward. And today we're joined by Miguel Silva and Ricardo Avila, two well-respected Colombian voices. Ricardo is both the editor-in-chief of Portfolio, Colombia's largest and most influential business daily, as well as Deputy Editor-in-Chief of El Tiempo, the most widely read and influential daily in Colombia. He served in a number of government positions, including Deputy Minister of International Economic Affairs and Minister of Foreign Affairs. Uh, Miguel Silva is the uh, Adrian Arts Latin America Center's non-resident senior Columbia fellow and is a Colombian journalist, lawyer, and political consultant. He's the founder of Galileo 6, a strategic communications firm specializing in crisis management and political com communications and he also organized one of the political coalitions in favor of the yes vote. Uh, he served as chief of staff as well as the president, Cesar Garbiria. What we're going to do is uh, have a framing question for uh, Ricardo and, and, and Miguel. Each will respond to that, to that question. Uh, each will have about five, five, seven minutes to respond to that question. I then have a few follow questions, and we will leave uh, the last 15 minutes for Q&A. Uh, from everybody on the call. If you have a question, uh, press star one to get into the queue and star two to remove yourself. And this is, uh, we'll take questions based on uh, who, who pushes star one first. And that gives you some incentive. Uh, let me start off with, with you, Ricardo. Um, very broad strokes, how, how can peace now be achieved? And, and what is the road ahead with the FARC? Well, the road ahead first is that uh, the Democratic Center, headed by a former President Uribe, uh, has to present uh, a document to the government sort of underlining uh, the things that they can accept and would suggest to change in the agreement that was negotiated in Havana and was signed at the end of uh, August. Um, that uh, will take place while there is... Um, uh, a meeting between Santos, President Santos, and former President Uribe uh, in process. Uh, today at midday, 
sort of uh, former President Uribe requested the the, uh, the appointment with, with with the president, and the idea uh, it is my understanding that at that time either the Democratic Center is going to bring this document or is going to mention sort of that document. And the first question that needs to be solved is if the government will accept that the agreement has to be renegotiated. That means that if the if the government say yes, says yes, that means that uh, sort of uh, an additional step uh, will have to be taken in the sense that uh, the FARC has to be sort of informed of these uh, these uh, new proposals that are coming. And of course, if the government says no, basically we are we are back. Uh, to what the results were on Sunday, and that means that we won't have an agreement. Uh, my expectation is that the government uh, will say yes, that uh, that it is open to 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 transmit to the fact that the the need for the agreement to be renegotiated. But that, of course, doesn't mean that the that the road ahead is going to be an easy one. Then, of course, the most difficult part is is. Uh, Sort of uh, uh, addressing some of the main concerns that the Democratic Central already uh, has uh, pinpointed, and basically this issue of uh, how the mechanism of transitional justice would operate, the question of eligibility of uh, of uh, FARC leaders, uh, and at the same time different issues that is, such as the land issue. And uh, and uh, or economic uh, commitments made by the government. So, so it is my understanding that the Democratic Center at the same time recognizes that this has to be a speedy process because, of course, the main concern is that while the FARC bosses are in Cuba and uh, the guerrillas are still in Colombia uh, in this uh, limbo, uh, basically, of course, it's time begins to pass and, and months go by, basically the, the, the problem is that there will be, for example, a, a, a gradual disintegration of FARC and, and some of the fighters decide to join, for example, or either other guerrilla movements because the, the, the movements because the ELN is still active or uh, uh, become part of the, of the criminal, criminal bands of Bacrims, as, as we call them in Spanish. So... Again, this is a very complex process because it involves it involves uh, a first a new reality at the same time it involves uh, uh, trying to reach an agreement after four years of negotiation. Uh, but at the same time, um, at the same time, the big question is is what's going to be the attitude of 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 of, of the leaders of of FARC. Thanks, thanks, Ricardo. Now, Miguel, um, uh, uh, Ricardo brings up a number a number of points. If you want to react to any of those, but in addition to that, Miguel, why were the polls wrong? And, and from your perspective, what are some of the political implications of the vote? Well, thank you, Jason. Um, you know, I think polling failed mostly because uh, I think there was a shameful no. Very hard to identify by traditional polling. Uh, many people decided to vote against Santos. Santos is a very unpopular president. I mean, he's been there for six years and has wasted courageously, I would say, a lot of his political capital in this, but uh, many people dislike him, 70% unfavorable. 
Um, so they decided to vote against Santos or to end their frustration and anger with the economic situation and, and also their hatred against the FARC. So uh, uh, that was not a vote against the agreement or it was a vote about a different thing. Um, and, I, and I think many people decided to, you know, just not acknowledge that they were angry and they were going to vote no in, in when the polling was, was done. That, that's, I think, uh, one of the readings. There were polls that were closer to the result. The government's poll was a bit closer. It was nine points difference. But it was uh, very hurtful to have polling that showed 30% difference because the yes vote was um, not, in, not incentivized to go out and vote. Um, you also mentioned the hurricane in the Caribbean coast where the advantage in favor of the yes was huge and turnout there was uh, historically low. In terms of, you know, in terms of the political consequences, I mean, we're very saddened by the result, uh, or at least 6.4 million voters are saddened by the result. Uh, some of us believe that this was not a confrontation between two different views on how to achieve peace, but between actually peace and war, uh, between hawks and dogs. And I, uh, I think that Uribe managed to convince some of his voters and some of the undecided that voting no was a different way of voting for peace. And this is just an electoral trick. I mean, a vote that was an immoral vote uh, for war, he, he was uh, good enough to make it a moral vote for a different peace, a stronger peace. But the problem with tricks, electoral tricks, is that when reality then hits in, uh, the trick becomes real. And as Ricardo was saying, this moment where the opposition will say what's wrong with the peace agreement and then the government will take this to the FARC is going to be, I think, uh, a very um, infertile um, drama because I don't think personally that Uribe has any incentive to help Santos achieve peace. Um, I, I think his views are on the 2018 campaign. Um, I don't think he, he, he cares about solving this problem. I think he cares about maintaining this issue in a crisis until the next presidential election. Um, but, you know, some are optimistic, and most people, um, myself included, want this to work. Uh, it's just going to be practically very hard, because when De La Calle and the other negotiators go to uh, the FARC leaders and say, you know, guys, we spoke to the opposition, and here's their, you know, 100-point uh, disagreement, uh, what will the FARC say? They, they have two possibilities. One, to say, um, didn't I sign this with the president? I mean, didn't he have the powers to do this? Or uh, the other possibility would be, uh, thanks, this is interesting, can I speak to Uribe if he has the power? So it's, it's going to be practically very hard to solve. Thank you. Thanks, Miguel. Um, I, uh, I, I just want to turn back to, to Ricardo. Uh, Miguel, you mentioned the, the, the new structure in which the negotiations would now uh, uh, have to happen, and, and, and uh, the President Santos has now designated the Foreign Affairs Minister, the Minister of Defense, and Umberto Bacay was just ratified as the lead negotiator for the government as basically interlocutors of the government to negotiate now with the opposition. And Uribe's party, the Centro Democratico, has also now named three representatives of the dialogue. So, what, what, what's going to be the role of this special commission, and how do you see, do you see it actually being able to have some um, semblance of success? 
No, the role of the of this special commission is to present the document I told you about. Again, this document will will have three columns: things that they can live with, to to put it in this word, things that they would like to change, and things that they want to change. And of course, we still don't know what's going to fall into each of these columns. And 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 of course, the, this is. Uh, a bargaining position, and uh, I, if things go rel relatively well, probably there will be some uh, instance of negotiation regarding the, the document again. Uh, again, we we don't know, of course, if, if, if to use the expression, the red lines that were drawn in the case of the government, the FARC will have drawn their red lines too, and and if if. Uh, Democratic Center has to want to cross the, these red lines, then that means that there won't be an agreement. But it is it's still too early to tell. So, Miguel, do you think is there? You're, Miguel, you're alluding to this in your in your opening comments uh, about uh, Arrive looking to the 2018 campaign, and I, I don't want to misquote you, but but the that really there isn't much incentive from his perspective for, for peace. So, given all that, is there is there space for renegotiation? Well, there's always space for the renegotiation. I just think that, uh, um, you know, you have to see which incentives each party has. The government, of course, has the incentive of, you know, making this happen, of saving this agreement and in the very short term of saving the bilateral ceasefire. Um, I think the FARC wants to save the peace agreement, but historically they have also shown that they will take any additional advantage in their favor. And any sign of weakness on the other part is good for them. Um, and then Uribe, what's his incentive of helping Santos to achieve peace right now uh, in becoming, say, even the savior, but the savior of a peace that Santos designed? I don't think he has the incentive. Now, one of the issues is that both uh, radicals, both parties, FARC and the opposition, do have one incentive in common, and that is bringing a constitutional assembly in place. Because both believe that a constitutional assembly is, you know, a reshuffling of everything back again. Uribe would like a reshuffle that would, you know, change the election rules so that he can become a president again, and the FARC would want a reshuffle again because they think they can get a better agreement. So I don't. I'm, I know I sound very pessimistic, but I just don't see an aligning of the incentives of everyone to make this happen. No, I, I would say that there's. I know I would say that there's an incentive for Uribe, which is well, first the main incentive for him is to embarrass Santos, and that means uh, that he has a chance to say to Colombia, "I fixed the peace agreement and made it palatable." And, uh, and of course, that's his big incentive. The problem is, again, uh, of thinking uh, in 2018, and of course, Uribe would like to be seen as sort of the savior of this process. Is that feasible? That, of course, remains to be seen. But, uh, but I would say that, that uh, Uribe has clear that he cannot be as uh, the breaker of this possibility or as the, as the, as the, as the guilty party in, in ending the hope of a negotiated peace in Colombia because, of course, uh, 
if hostilities resume, uh, any additional violence will will fall on his lap. That's why there's there's an incentive for him. You know, I, I always good at any conversation when the speakers have different differing opinions. I think that makes makes it. Miguel, do you want to respond back there? No, I think I think Ricardo has a point, and I think there's you know there's a new majority right now that's going to be formed between all who voted for the yes and those who voted for the no, uh, thinking that a no was a better piece. Uh, so that's, that's a big majority. Then you have more than 6.4 million votes. You might have, I don't know, eight. Um, and then the rest of the no was really a war vote. So let's say that that coalition, that huge number of Colombians will elevate the political cost for Uribe of not helping to sort this through. I think Ricardo might have a point there. No, besides, think, think just in this simple uh, fact. Uh, Uribe said during the campaign, uh, we want to renegotiate the agreement, and the agreement can be renegotiated, and we are government that, no, that's impossible. If Uribe proves that the agreement could be renegotiated, who is going to win in, in, in the eyes, before the eyes of the voters? Of course, Uribe, and that's what, what he's thinking about. With, 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 as Miguel said, with his, his eyes on 2018. I want to shift a little bit to talking about um, uh, the FARC uh, and, and also then talk about a little bit about the U.S. and international community before we open up to questions. And there's a few questions already in the queue, but again, if you want to have your question be addressed um, with the, uh, uh, considering the over 100 people that are on this call, uh, press star one so you can get into the queue here. Um, but for either one of you, let's, let's talk a little bit about the FARC's reaction thus far. Uh, to the plebiscite results, um, um, then uh, you know some. There, the, there's, I think, from the FARC's perspective, there's, there there still is this door ajar for for negotiations. Uh, um, I think they were obviously caught off guard, just like the government was. What, what do you make of the FARC's reaction to the results and uh, uh, the last two days, and, and how do you see that playing out uh, looking ahead? That's what well, you first of all, Ricardo. Ricardo? Oh, okay. No, well, first, uh, yeah, on, on the side of Parker, of course, there was also shock and disbelief. I mean, they were not expecting this. And they, they are trying to sort of to scramble in, in order to have a reaction. Um, the first reaction was to say that this was already an international agreement for the the present agreement still holds, which is absolutely not true, and the government already said so, uh, because sort of the whole legal process fell apart. And uh, now, of course, the big question is how the chief negotiator, Humberto de la Calle, does in Havana, because he is meeting with, with the uh, heads of FARC at, the, at this moment. So the question is, and he went with uh, some people who are, who are uh, who have good relations with 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 the FARC? So again, the there are, it is difficult to say that the the ball is is in, in someone else's field. But there are, actually, there are two balls in different fields. One in the field of of the Democratic Center, and the other one is is in the in the field of FARC. And and the question is if they are going to accept our negotiation or not. Something which is 
going to be very difficult for them to swallow, while at the same time they know that in a way all this negotiation was a kind of one-way street. For them, going back and resuming hostilities is going to be uh, a, an extremely difficult decision too. How do they do that? How does the how does the FARC, who who the leadership, who stakes so much on on crafting a carefully uh, uh, a careful accord that convinced all of its ranks to to sign on? How do they go back and and and, and reopen the door? Is that even kind of is that feasible? Well, the problem is for them to swallow to swallow to swallow the, the difficult pill or to swallow the toad uh, using the the Colombian. Expression basically, uh, because uh, I mean, without having uh, full certainty, it is more or less clear that the Democratic Center is going to ask for them to be in some sort of confinement, not necessarily a jail, but some sort of confinement, let's say, sort of, a, sort of a, an agri agricultural colony or something like that. And second, uh, they are going to accept that probably they won't, they won't have, they won't have the possibility of being eligible eligible right now, that they probably will have to wait, let's say, four years until they uh, until the, the they fulfill sort of uh, this this time in confinement, things like that. I'm expe speculating, but but uh, for the for the base for the fighters so far, for the the, the main base, 95 percent of the fighters, uh, there is no problem because they can they can receive political amnesty. Right away, the problem is for the leadership, because they are going to. If this is going to continue, they will have to accept that they are going to pay a higher price than uh, the price they had to pay with the agreement that was not approved on Sunday. Yeah, I want to, I want to make sure to leave time for questions. I have one more question before we open up to everyone on the call against Star One. Uh, Miguel, there's a number of people on this call here. Where we 110 plus people on the call represent uh, come across from uh, U.S. government, uh, uh, other embassies, uh, business community, civil society, media, all, all aboard. And I think one of the questions many have now is how best can the U.S. and the international community uh, be supportive of Colombia at this time? Well, I think the international community has been very supportive of this process, um, and um, I don't think people in, in the international community understand what the hell happened here. It's hard to, to understand. Um, I think the main support that the international community can give today is related to two things. One, a practical thing, and the other one, a, a political thing. The practical, I think, is how to help the government and the guerrillas finance and maintain a bilateral ceasefire. But one of the hardest things that you uh, that you can do that that you have to do right now, without a solid peace agreement, maintaining a peace a ceasefire is very difficult. Uh, and then the other thing I think the international community has to put enormous pressure on Uribe to uh, to make to make good on his promise. Is it real that he was pursuing a no because he thought that he could negotiate he could help negotiate it negotiate a better peace deal? Or was it just, you know, playing games so that there's war and then the candidates of the right can be better positioned for the 2018 campaign? Thanks, thanks Miguel. Um, okay, I want to open up to questions. 
Uh, first question here from uh, Raphael uh, Bernal with The Hill. Hi, uh, thank you very much for holding this. Uh, so I, I have two brief questions. The first one's related to what we're just talking about. Um, what, what's going to be the effect for Congress and, and the final uh, approval of, of funds for Paz Colombia? Is, are you seeing any, any movement in, in that area um, and in which direction, of course? And the other, the other question also related is what's going to happen to the cocaine trade during this sort of midpoint where nobody knows where they're standing and FARC is, uh, I presume, still involved in it. Okay, so one of um, the future of Post Columbia, the other on, on, the, on the cocaine trade. Uh, um, either, uh, who, who, who wants to take those questions? Or you know, but, but, just, just to better understand the question, the Post Columbia is what's... Uh, is the planning the U.S. Congress or? Yeah, I'd like, what, what's going to happen to the to the fund? Um, oh, support from the international community in this in this uh, very hard moment, and I don't know in terms of resources how much that will take. Uh, the post conflict, so to speak, has started in many regions in Colombia, and and the extension of the first the unilateral FARC ceasefire, and now the bilateral ceasefire has brought um, peace to many areas in the country. So uh, I, I think that, you know, that support is already pouring in and is already being used. In terms of the cocaine trade, I have no idea. I, probably Ricardo is better suited for that question. No, I, I don't have uh, any idea either. I know what I believe basically is that everything is on hold at this time, and we are expecting... A political signal, uh, the first uh, meeting between Santos and Uribe is going to take place tomorrow, and that's going to be very important to know uh, where we are headed. Uh, I believe that, uh, that the different sides are willing to wait a reasonable time to see if, uh, if there's going to be some white smoke coming out of this. But uh, at the same time, I don't believe that, that, patient, that patience is unlimited. Uh, I would say that we have a few weeks to see if this process moves forward, and if not, uh, in some places, uh, people probably will be too tired to fight, and in some other places, people will resume the old ways, including the cocaine trafficking. So, so again, time is of the essence because because if this takes um, if this this takes uh, months or even years, of course. Uh, this is going to be very difficult to hold. Yeah, and Ricardo, I'll just, I'll just add in there to, to answer uh, uh, Raphael's question as well. Is that um, you know, look, the, 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 one of the one of the benefits of, of, of peace is that you're able to all able to have government development uh, in rural areas of the Colombia that has not previously um, benefited from such sort of not only government development but inflows of private sector uh, opportunities, whether it's domestic or international companies. And all of this is, is a way to give legal alternatives uh, to the drug trade in rural areas of Colombia. So uh, the, the longer that there isn't a deal on the table that allows for that development, that legal development in rural areas of Colombia, uh, it will only, I think, perpetuate the movement, of, uh, the continuation, excuse me, the continuation of, uh, of, of, of illicit sources of, of funds. Um, yet again, the importance of, 
but finding a, a, a deal that, uh, uh, that, that uh, provides for uh, alternatives for rural areas and development in rural areas. Um, next question from uh, Mark Snyder of International Crisis Group. Hi, Mark. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I, well, first, just very quickly, unfortunately, the Congress, the U.S. Congress is out until after election, so there's at least a month um, where uh, whatever happens uh, in Havana uh, and in Colombia will provide some basis for thinking through what happens here. Uh, my guess is that there will still be a willingness to go forward um, with the funding. Um, my question is, the two of you sort of hinted that there, there might be a, an incentive on the part of Uribe uh, not to be that concerned about the reaching an agreement, uh, given that would help politically uh, next year uh, in 2018. I'm curious whether or not the, you think that the FARC will understand that and therefore be, be tempted to accept, let's say, uh, two or three amendments to uh, the existing agreement that dealt with the core issues of whether those most responsible for the most serious crimes could actually uh, participate politically uh, even before they finished the sentences that they, uh, that they might uh, um, be uh, ordered to have um, and might be willing to accept a change there and similarly might be willing to accept, as one of you mentioned, uh, the possibility of something that would look more like jail for a portion of the five to eight years. No, my belief, and uh, of course, I'm, um, it's, it's pure wishful thinking, is that they will be willing to accept some things. Uh, the question is, we don't know what kind of quote-unquote sacrifice are they willing to make vis-à-vis uh, -vis the, the agreement that, uh, that was rejected on Sunday, and, and that is the, the big point. But uh, it is clear that uh, if we take into account what they said on Sunday, uh, they still maintain their commitment uh, to peace. So, so again, the devil is in the details, and and, and the details, and that means sort of so sort of, sort of the, the position of the Democratic Center and their uh, parties that that uh, that uh, that were against the agreement uh, needs to be that these details we we need to know what 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 is in them in order to see the reaction from from the part of FARC. Do you want to jump in that too? Interesting question, Mark. Uh, you know, it depends on how much of a rush do the FARC have, and they've had no rush in the last 52 years. They're like, they're, they're, it's like negotiating with the Japanese when you talk to them. And, uh, but at this point in time, and with the international pressure and with Venezuela crashing down, um, I think they, they do have an incentive, and they do understand and th that there is a momentum in the international community and inside the country for this to happen. So it would be blind on their side if they just play what they usually play, which is, hmm, let's see what the next chapter brings. We can get something better from uh, the presidential right. campaign. We'll, we'll, we'll have a, a role to play in the next presidential campaign. Um, they also have an incentive to move fast because that ceasefire is going to crumble down. So. So, I mean, you might be right. There there might be, a for everyone, an incentive to do this fast. I'm, I'm just pessimistic that there is an incentive for uh, Uribe different than just positioning his candidates for the 2018 election. 
But by the way, would they all, or if they all agreed that it would take another uh, plebiscite to take reach some kind of an agreement? I don't think so. I actually don't think so. I, hmm. it's, a, it's more a political question than a legal question. Uh, right. I, I think if the opposition and the government are uh, agree on 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 forgive about the redundancy on an agreement with the FARC and the FARC says yes, uh, well perhaps a plebiscite will go well, uh, and but it, but perhaps it's not needed. I, I I don't know the legal aspects of that. You know, my understanding is that there's no need of a new plebiscite, and um, basically the president has the power. To, to go ahead, actually, it wasn't it for the for this plebiscite that the the yes vote lost. So, so and I, I don't believe anyone is willing to risk that uh, again. Hmm. And we, have, we have just a few more minutes again. If you have a question, press uh, star one. Um, I have a just a follow-up here. The, the, you know, the no camp does not just uh, believe it. He talks about. Bring others into the into the dialogue. So, what are some other sectors that could have a say in the in the forthcoming dialogue? Well, my understanding is that all these sectors are going to be represented in the document that that is going to be handed to the government. So that doesn't mean, thankfully, that uh, that uh, we're going to have four or five different documents with different positions, but just one uh, uh, that will the quote-unquote opposition will have to sort of um, agree um, agree within within uh, among them, and, and and we'll see, of course, what what this document says. And then just one thing we haven't talked about is the the the, um, the ELN that was having the exploratory talks with the, with the government. <laughs> Um, do you think the, the outcome, how is the outcome of this plebiscite potentially going to affect that negotiation, or is that just, at this point, such a, a, um, a, a, secondary, a secondary concern? I mean, we can speculate first. There's an incentive now for the airline saying, yes, we were able to sign the peace agreement. Uh, I know that exploratory talks were going well uh, until Sunday. Uh, and a sort of context is still continue. But again, probably, I mean, the ELN is a much more complex movement than the FARC. It's much more balkanized, and, and it is going to be difficult to, uh, to find in them sort of a, a single position. So, so some people say, see, this is the reason why you cannot, uh, negotiate with the government because basically the world is no, is no guarantee of anything, so 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 we still don't know. I believe that they are going to 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 have their uh, the 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 negotiating channel open, but uh, it is too early to tell. And, and what, what about what about the UN mission that's already uh, uh, in Colombia? What 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 is what does the future look like for that? Well, that's one of the that's one of the issues of the transitory need for funds. I mean, they have and, and Ricardo, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that without the fast track and without the agreement, uh, they have no role to play right now. So if they have no role to play right now, and there's not going to be any concentration of troops from the FARC instead of being in 67 or 70 areas of the country 
going into 22, and there's no, not going to be any surrender of weapons. They, they play no role. And at the same time, one wishes that they would stay just in case this happens relatively fast. But it's, um, it's going to be hard. You know, I, I agree completely. I believe they're going to, to wait for a few days uh, in order to, to make a decision. But, uh, but at this point in time, there's nothing for them to fighting. Okay, well, I'm seeing that there's, uh, the folks who are in the queue uh, are, are no longer, um, and so I think that there's uh, no questions uh, from all those who are uh, on the call. Um, uh, we will um, wrap up. I don't see anyone else jumping in. Um, I, think there's, uh, I think Miguel and Ricardo, you've done an excellent job of, I think, answering as many questions as could be answered uh, just uh, two days after this vote. And it's, this is an issue, of course, that uh, here at the Atlantic Council, we are uh, uh, deeply committed to, uh, to Columbia and working with our friends in Columbia throughout this, throughout this process. And uh, Miguel, very lucky to have you as our non-resident fellow, and, and Ricardo, uh, a, a friend, very great to, grateful to have you jump on this call at such a, such a last minute. Um, this is I said at the beginning of this call, uh, we will continue to provide insight, analysis, and, 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 and updates as, as issues move forward. And as we move forward, we'd love to continue the conversation with multiple sectors uh, across Columbia um, that play an important role in this process. So uh, with that, thank you all very much for joining us for today's call, and uh, look forward to another one. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Miguel.